0: Hey everyone, thank you for checking out our podcast here at Victory Hill Church. Over the next few moments, our lead pastor, Aaron Begley, is going to share an impactful message with you from the Bible. We hope that it will encourage you to connect with God and connect with others. Welcome to Victory Hill. I'm glad to be here today. I'm always privileged to, uh, when I get an opportunity to speak and to share the word with you, Um, I don't take it lightly. I really try hard to find God's message and kind of make sure that there's something here for you to chew on a little bit and take home even with you. So I'm so glad you're here today though, but um, I want to ask, we're in summer on the hill. Has anybody taken a road trip yet? I see your road trips. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like summer is a road trip time. And For our family, when we go on a road trip, we have some road trip essentials that we must take with us. Now, I don't know if your family does this, but we do this, and actually, you know, I've I've found that I think my children have followed that pattern, but um, so some of our essentials, let's see. The first thing, we always have to have a, a can of Pringles, you know? I don't know what it is about Pringles. I guess it's, they're easy to distribute and whatever, but a can of Pringles is always part of our road trip. Um, Now, for myself, and this is mine, and I don't share it very much, but I have to have a box of Crunch and Munch. You're catching on that these road trip essentials are really about snacking, right, in the car, right? And so, yeah, so I have to have a box of Crunch and Munch, and um, like I said, these are small. You don't have to share it if you don't want to, so... The other thing that we always make sure we have is a nice bag of trail mix. You know, just something quick. You can put a hand in and get you a little handful to snack on and a little salty, little sweet, you know, all those kinds of things. So, but the most essential item that we must have on every road trip, and sometimes it can be just a short road trip even, is we must have a bag of Twizzlers. I heard a Yes. I heard a yes. So everybody loves Twizzlers. You can throw kids two or three back, keep them quiet for a few minutes. Twizzlers are great. They are part of our essential road trip at our house anyway. The other thing about our road trip is who's driving. Um, Mike is the designated road trip driver. Um, He really... I mean, it doesn't matter if we're going six hours or 16 hours, he is the driver. Occasionally, I'll say, hey, are you tired? You want me to take over for a few minutes or anything, we drive for a little while? And and occasionally, he will say yes, that I can drive. But I'm I'm not quite sure what happens. But all of my driving ability leaves me When I'm in the driver's seat and he's in the passenger seat. Because all I hear is, hey, you better get over. Are you going to go around that guy? How fast are you going? We're never going to get there if you don't speed up. And I'm like, oh yes, I've never driven before. I forgot. So no matter whether I'm driving or he's driving, he's driving, right? He's the one driving. And so today we're going to talk about a road trip. And I'm going to ask you who's driving on your faith journey. Who's driving today? The Bible is full of road trips, some good and some not so good. Abraham's journey from his homeland. Lot hit the road out of Sodom and Gomorrah, that was a road trip. Jonah journeys to Nineveh. The Israelites make their way to the promised land. Moses flees Egypt. Elisha runs to the mountains. Saul travels to Damascus. So many road trips in the Bible. So many people journeying on their way with the Lord. But today I want to use one, a road trip that involved a very smart donkey and a not so smart man. Today my message comes from the book of Numbers And it's the story of Balaam. Let's begin. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because... Of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, This horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak the son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Bor, who was at Pethro near the Euphrates River in his native land. Balak said, A people. "'has come out of Egypt. "'They cover the face of the land "'and have settled next to me. "'Now come and put a curse on these people "'because they are too powerful for me. "'Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them "'and drive them out of the land. "'For I know that whoever you bless is blessed "'and whomever you curse is cursed.'" The children of Israel were in their final phase of their journey to the promised land. They had been on this journey for some 38 years. Now understand that we know that a huge generation of them had died off, but realizing that there were still two to three million people in this Israelite group that was traveling to the promised land. As they arrived in Moab, the Bible says that the people there were filled with dread. Actually, some translations say they were filled with so much dread they were sick to their stomachs. Have you ever dreaded something so much or feared something so much that it literally made you sick? This is how the people where Moab were. But actually, really when you get down to it, they had nothing to fear. Because God had told the children of Israel, do not harm anybody from Moab. Because they were distant relatives of Lot. So they really didn't have anything to fear at all. But if we look closely, we will see actually what they were afraid of. And it actually came out of a spot of greed. When they said, the Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. They were actually very concerned that they were gonna lose all their livestock and food. Again, though, God was still feeding the children of Israel manna. Four days a week, every day, and twice on Friday, they got manna. So there was really, literally nothing For them to fear. The Israelites just simply wanted to pass through to get to the promised land. But Balak the ruler decides that he's going to hire someone who he knew was gifted, was a gifted prophet with a reputation of blessing and cursing people. He was willing to pay a large sum of money for the service, and he knew the right man for the job it was Balaam. You see, Balaam was a descendant of a whole family of diviners, which basically could be known as soothsayers. And they, his, that was basically his family's business. He had grown up in a family of people who were soothsayers. And it didn't matter to Balaam. He knew any God, whatever gods, he was willing to work with whomever he had to work with. He knew the God of Israel. He had to have known the God of Israel. He had to have known what God had done and how the Israelites had been blessed. But yet, he entertains the idea that that Balaam will be the one that will actually come and curse them. We can assure that Balaam knew the miracles of God. Balaam knew that Balaam was who he wanted to curse these people and put the plan into motion. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them a fee for divination. And when they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you the answer that the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with him. So Balaam entertains the offer that is sent from Balak. He even invites the guys to spend the night. He's seriously considering this. Now here's something that I don't, I, as I read this, I thought, why would he say that he was going to wait and talk to the Lord when he wasn't a prophet of God? Why would he do that? Did he really think that the Lord was going to come and speak to him? Or was he just trying to influence them to think more highly of him and maybe even drive up the price a little bit? Here's a little extra piece of information for you. It's just an extra for today. Not everyone who says they hear from God hears from God. Right? If you're listening to the voices of those whose lives do not line up with the word of God, you might want to check their motives. You know, Balaam was saying that just because he thought it would give him more influence. He had no relationship with the Lord of Israel, the God of Israel. But he thought for sure that if he said that, they would think more highly of him. However, this will surprise you. God does choose to show up to Balaam and he speaks to him. He says, God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them. Perhaps then I'll be able to fight them and drive them away. But God says to Balaam, Do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and he t- said to Balak's officials, Go back to your homeland. The Lord has refused to let me go with you. Well, it sounds like Balaam is not acting like Balaam for this moment, is he? He's not. He has, he actually says to the men, You're gonna have to go back. God won't let me do this. It's puzzling why he did that. But I can tell you why God did what he did in that spot. God showed up to Balaam out of his love and the promise he had made to Abraham. You see, when God made, it, God made a promise to Abraham that no matter what, his family would be blessed, he was not gonna leave it to a false prophet to decide whether he was gonna curse him or, or bless them. God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. See, when God makes a promise, he'll do anything he has to to fulfill it. Even if it means talking to a sorcerer and a false prophet. To make sure that the children of Israel, the promise was fulfilled, that they would be a blessed nation. So the men though, they go back to Balak and they take the message from Balaam and they tell him he doesn't want, but he doesn't want to come. He can't come, but it doesn't end there. Balak is not willing to give up. He sends even a more prestigious group and even more money in the pot and says, go tell him and persuade him to curse the children of Israel. So this entourage takes off. They come back to Balaam. And here's what the Bible says happened. But Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now spend the night here so I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. So once again, he says, I, I think that you guys can stay again because maybe God will tell me something different. Do you think he really wanted God to change his mind? I think he really thought that was going to happen. It's interesting. Balaam turns away more money. He says he can't do anything against the Lord, my God. But yet he invites them to stay just in case. I'm pretty sure that God already lets, let him know what his will was regarding this situation. remember, He said, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. See, I think that's a hard no, right? That's a hard no. You know, I don't see any room for negotiating. I don't see any reason to reconsider. God is very clear on his will right here. See, Balaam reminds me of our children. We say no you can't and they go oh please or they come back 25 times please can I have it can I go please I promise I'll be good just this one time just this one time please can I go and we do this little negotiating thing and unfortunately sometimes we break down and we say yes and then we teach them that it's not a hard no. <laughs> but God's saying, it's a hard no. God is not gonna change his will. He had made a promise to the children of Israel. This was his sovereign will that they would not be a cursed nation, that they would be a blessed nation. So Balaam's desire is truly to have his own way. And God knows that. God knows Balaam's heart at this point, And he knows That that's what he wants. He wants to go. He wants to get that money. And greed was still driving him to entertain the thought of something that that God might change his mind. Then God does something that maybe we don't understand. That night, God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them but do only what I tell you. Wait a minute, did God change his mind? Did God change his mind? Did God just give in to the will of Balaam? Did God really trust Balaam to do what he asked him to do or what he told him to do? Well, let me answer this for you with the scripture says, first of all, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God did not change his mind. God allowed Balaam to do. He did not fight his will. It doesn't make any difference who we are whether we are a sorcerer and a false prophet, God is never going to not allow us to have free will. Also, God had a great plan in mind because in the end of the story, Balaam doesn't go and curse the children of Israel. He actually blesses them like seven times. So, you know, God knew what he was doing, But on the outside, it may look like God changed his mind. Well, God doesn't change his mind. He has a perfect will. He has in mind what he wants to do. He has a plan in place. But sometimes, we will not allow him to fulfill the plan the way he intended it to. The beautiful thing is that he will not force his will on anyone, even a false prophet. God knew Balaam was set on going, and even if he tried to sound like he was going to follow God's will, he would continue to try to negotiate with God. Just like our kids. (laughs) Just They'll keep at it, keep at it, keep at it, won't they? They can, they can. God would allow Balaam to go, but he would not intervene in the consequences of his choice. And that's what God does with us. When we want to fight against his will, he's not going to force us But then again, he can't intervene in the consequences. I hear so many people sometimes, is like, I just don't know how I got in this mess. And I just want to say, well, yeah, it probably started back then. Probably started with that choice that was totally against the will of God for you. So Balaam wastes no time. He gets up the next morning, he saddles up his donkey, and he's off to the Moabites. And Balaam that left that morning wasn't bent on serving God. You can, you can trust me on that. He was not. And it, he was the one seeking profit and power and prestige. And God knew it. And God was not happy about it. Bible says that Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went to the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood on the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. Here we have another one of those moments when, God, when we go, okay, God, why are you mad? You told him he could go. You told him it was okay. You told him to go and now you're angry. How many times do you think God just says, I guess you can do it, but then you go, okay, I'm going. <laughs> and he goes, Aww. he's a patient God. He certainly is. But also, he's a God that wants best, what's best for us. He doesn't want us to make those kinds of mistakes. If you don't know the rest of the story, God places an angel with a sword in his hand in the donkey's path. Three times, the donkey tries to get Balaam to go back. Tries to stop Balaam on his road trip. And three times, Balaam just beats the donkey and beats the donkey and beats the donkey. So in Numbers 22 and 27, the, Lord says, the Bible says, When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it laid down under Balaam. He was very angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and it said to Balaam, What have I done to make you beat me these three times? Balaam had a conversation with the donkey. If you read that scripture, he, he answered him. And then he asked him a question and then he answered him. And they're having this little conversation back and forth he certainly must have been a sorcerer to believe that was happening but he has this conversation the bible says that balaam bowed low and fell face down because the lord opened his eyes to see the angel and he bows down and do you think maybe finally he realizes no means no think finally he's getting it God's done everything to warn him. God's done everything, even used a donkey to try to tell him, You're not within the will of the Lord. He says, So Balaam says to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I'll go back. Balaam's response is a lot like ours sometimes. If I'd only realized, Lord, if I'd only seen that you, if you'd only shown me a little bit better, I probably wouldn't have done this. If you'd only shown up just before I did the, and, you know, maybe spoke to me through somebody or whatever, I, I wouldn't have done this. And we wouldn't blame God. We almost want to look back at him and say, I, I would have, you know, and then, then now listen to this. Then Balaam says, and if you are displeased with me, I'll go back. Is there anything about this story that indicates to you that God was not displeased with him? Yeah. I mean, honestly. God's got an angel with a a sword that would have killed him if it hadn't been for his precious little donkey. He's got, of course he's displeased with him. Well, if you are, I'll go back. Sometimes we look at God and we say, well, if that's really what you want me to do, I'll do it. And God says, you're hopeless. (laughs) I think that's what he said to Balaam that day. You're hopeless. You're not getting it. So God, once again, realizing that Balaam Balaam was set on going onward. And outside of his will, he allows him to continue to the road of Moab. And with the same message that he is not to say anything that God does not allow. If God already sent an angel with a sword... I'm sure he had Balaam's attention. While well, we may not be ready to curse people, and, but we struggle to live in God's will. He has been trying to get your attention and you are seeking God's will or are you exercising your free will today? Has God been trying to get your attention about something? Has he been trying to say, let me guide you, let me direct you, let me show you what my will is for you today? Just to be clear, God's will can actually be defined in two very different ways. There is what God has determined to happen and what God desires to happen. God's sovereign will is what God has determined to happen. God's sovereign will is what God says he will do regardless of anything and everything. In other words, one of the, one of the great examples of God's sovereign will is our salvation. God says, I am going to save you. This is how I'm going to do it. This is my will. Nothing's going to change it. Nothing's going to interfere with it. This is my sovereign will. It was God's sovereign will that the children of Israel would be blessed. It was his sovereign will that that would happen. Even with Balaam's Balaam's motives to disobey, God intended for his children to be blessed. And there was nothing that was going to change that. Lots of times we'll say God is a sovereign God. When things look like they're out of our control, we have to trust that that was his sovereign will. That was what he willed to happen and it happened. Okay? Then we have God's discerned will. And that's what God desires to happen. Discerned will is where we live every day, folks. We live every day Trying to determine what God's discerned will is for our life God gives us choices He has desires for us And always has a perfect plan But he allows us to have our free will of choice I'm going to have Anthony join me on stage Anthony's one of our uh, interns this summer We have four great interns that have done a great job this summer Let's go to this side, Anthony <laughs> So um, Anthony's doing a great job, and he's been a a blessing along with all of our other interns. I said if there was a summer we needed interns, it was this summer, because we have worked you guys to death. Maybe. Yeah. We're teaching about ministry. Now, ministry is not always about just doing what you think you're called to do. Right? (laughs) Right. So, Anthony's going to help me today. Anthony, I'm going to take this end of the rope, and you're going to take that. And um, Anthony, you get the starring role today. You're God. There you go. You get the lead role today. So, so anyway, here's what, here's what happens. God's got this will, this desired will for you, okay? And uh, he, he says, this is what I want you to do. And here's what we start doing. We start, like, pulling against it a little bit. We kind of say... We have this tension here between us and God that exists. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for two weeks or you've been a Christian for 45 years. This is, this still happens. This is still real. So, like, for Balaam, it was, but, but God, I, I want the money. I want the prestige. I want the fame. Uh, uh. For us, sometimes, it's I know it's over my budget. I know it is, but it's everything I want. I just want to go. I just want to do it. I know. I know credit cards are bad, but I just want to do it. And we keep this tension. Or, I'm sure he's the one. I'm sure he is, Lord. He just makes me so happy. How can you even think that he's not the one for me? and we tug and we keep this tension between our will and god's will one time we were i mean and it can be anything it doesn't have to be big life decisions it can be min- minimal life decisions but we were buying a car one time we were going to buy this conversion van. any of you in the 80s conversion van with the seats the little tables the yeah yeah we were going to buy a conversion van, and um we, we found this van and the girls loved, they loved the fact they all had a seat and they had this little table and all this stuff. And I mean, it was, it was, they were just excited. Mike liked it. And the whole time I just had this little nudge at me that this isn't right. Maybe this isn't what we should do. And I, and I just kind of kept feeling it, but eventually I just ignored it. And I just went ahead and we bought the van. Because God just said, your mind's made up. You're not listening to me. Your mind's made up. So I bought the van. And you probably can guess what happened. Two months of owning the van, the engine blew up. Back in the 80s, $2,000 was a lot of money when we were raising three little girls. God tried his best to help me. God tried his best to get me to find his desired will for us. When we don't seek or obey God's will, we find ourselves living in the consequences of those choices. Balaib ended up leading the Israelites into disobedience and actually finally was slain in a battle. And if you look at the word Balaam, if you look it up, he is throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament because of his disobedience, because of the influence he had over the children of Israel. See, here's the way that we figure out what that will is. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you will be able to test and prove God's will, what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will. Would you say those words with me? Good, pleasing, perfect will. He has a good, pleasing, perfect will for you. If we will renew our minds, if we will be transformed, if we will not follow after the pattern of the world, the world is the one who says, hey, you want it, you go get it. The world is the one who says, ah, just marry the guy you love. Love will make it through. It'll be perfect. The world says that. But this says, do not conform to the pattern of the world. Let your mind be renewed by Christ. Let your mind be settled on the things of God so that you can figure out what is that good, pleasing, and perfect will that God has for you. See, here's the thing a lot of people will say, I don't know, I sure would like to know God's will for my life. Well, let me tell you, God's desired will for your life is knowable. You can know it. You can know it. I'm going to give you eight ways that you can discover his will. Okay. Number one, through his word, through his word. If it's not okay in the word of God, it's not okay. Amen. If it's not in there to say it's not okay. If it was not okay 10 years ago, because you've interpreted the word of God to say it's not okay. Guess what? It's not okay. The word of God is the easiest way to determine the will, God's will for your life. Number two, circumstances of our life. Where he puts us. Situations we're in. Always be aware that God, this is the nothing happens by coincidence piece. Right? God doesn't put you in a certain place. Not for a purpose. So there might be attached to his will there, that good and perfect will that he has for you. Speaking through others. God will speak through other people. He will speak through people that you trust and people that you know. And I will warn you though, make sure you're listening to those Christian, that Christian counsel. Because sometimes, again, not everybody who says they hear from God hears from God, right? Our conscience, that inner voice. See, that, that conscience was what was telling me. That little inner voice was saying, "I don't think you should do this. I don't think you should do this. It was there. I have to acknowledge it was there. And I didn't act on it. I didn't. I ignored it. Common sense. I was like, this is, this is good common sense. But I want you to look at this scripture in Titus. Look here. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. God gives us common sense. Doesn't he? Yes. He does give us common sense. He absolutely has equipped you with a, with a mind and the common sense to know what's right and what's wrong, right? But in that tension, sometimes we don't even listen to common sense. Number six, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit certainly can speak to you and reveal to you the will of God. You just got to listen. Listen. Number seven, contentment. Anybody ever say to you, I just don't have peace about it? Or say to you on the opposite side, I don't know. I don't understand it, but I just have a peace about it. Contentment. Contentment. You're going to know when you're in the will of God. Because you're going to be content. Number eight, prayer. If you want to know the will of God today, if you want to know that perfect, good plan that God has for you, you can find it. You can find it. If you say today, I just don't know God what God's will is for me, God is continually working to show you and to reveal to you his purpose in your life. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God who speaks to you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Would you stand with me this morning? Anthony's gonna come again because I wanna finish this out with one more little thing to share with you because I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. We've all struggled to find that good and perfect will that God has for us. Anthony, I'm gonna let you be God again, okay? Hold on to me this time. (laughs) You know, about 10 years ago, we began on a journey with our daughter down the road of addiction. And um, road trip I never thought I'd be making, you know? I know a lot of you have walked that road too. But as we're walking, as I was going down that road, and I was trying so hard to figure out what I needed to do, I kept, I kept saying, "God, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I raised her better than that. I, I don't get it. Why? I don't, I don't understand. You know." And I kept, I kept, and every, I, I went to every meeting I could do. I could, I listened to, I listened to everything I could listen to. I did everything I could. To try to figure it out. And I was I was getting really angry about it. I really was. I was getting angry. And I knew that wasn't God's will for me to be angry. I knew it wasn't his will. But I began to. I just I just got angrier and angrier and more hurt and more hurt. And and so one day a very dear friend of mine said to me, Chris. I'm not sure, but I think it's time for you to shut up and be quiet. And I was like, that's not how I handle things. I talk through everything. <laughs> ask my husband, ask my daughters, I talk through everything. I was like, you know, be quiet, be quiet. I was like, I, I don't know. i was still like pulling still trying to go my way. I'm still trying to figure it out on my own, right? I'm just like, be quiet. And so, a few days later, I was in the word and I, and I came against the story of the children of Israel marching around Jericho and, and I mean, what jumped off the page at me is that God said, it says in there, for the first seven days they walked around that place They walked in silence. God told them, be quiet. I was like, hmm, well, there's that again. There's that again. Be quiet. Be quiet. But I was still not understanding, not willing to submit to God's will for me to be quiet. I didn't understand it. I didn't want to do it, I guess. And then I'm sitting in my car one day, (laughs) and you know how they have these little blips of, like a devotion on the Christian radio station. You know what he said, right? Be quiet, be still, be quiet. And at that time I surrendered it and I let go of my will. Now I have to tell you, not much changed out there in this whole Road trip that we were on. Not much changed. But here's what changed I began to hear my father. I began to hear his voice instead of my voice. I began to hear him telling me to trust him, to trust him, to trust him. And that's what I began to do. But I had to let go. I had to let my will become his will. I had to follow in that pattern of of his desired will. And you know, when we stop fighting God, we will hear him. So maybe today is the day you're like, I've got things that are weighing heavy on me. I've got things that I just I don't know what to do. I don't know. Maybe I've already stepped out. And I've already gone the wrong direction and I've already and I've got myself in a mess. God has a good and perfect will for you. And he wants to show it to you. He wants to reveal it to you. He wants to So I ask you today, who's driving on your road trip? Are you driving? Is God driving? Who's driving on your road trip today? If you're out there today and you are, you know, at one point God tells, God tells Balaam that he, the angel actually tells Balaam that you are reckless. You're too reckless for me. You're being too reckless. Maybe today you're living a life that's just downright reckless. Nobody's driving the train. <laughs> because you haven't invited Christ to come into your life, to be that person, to drive you, to show you the way, to bring you into that good and perfect plan that He has for you. I invite you today to do that. I invite you today. To allow him to take over the steering wheel of your life. To let his will become your will. Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you today. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope this message helped you to connect with God and connect with others. Be sure to click the subscribe button to stay up to date with new messages each and every week. For more information about our church or for an opportunity to give to this ministry, simply go to victoryhill.org. Thank you, and we hope you have an amazing week.